Well, hey, First Church, so glad to be back with you. I hope you guys are excited to be here as well. And we have family that's meeting right now at our Verdigris and Stone Canyon campuses. So if you would, let's take a moment, join with me in welcoming them to our conversation here this morning. Well, occasionally, my wife Allison will take a risk, and she'll let me watch our kids by myself. Now, this doesn't happen often. Uh, She's very picky about when she lets this happen, but occasionally, she'll let me, for a short period of time, watch Alex and Addie. And we always have a fun time whenever I get to watch them by myself. But you know, I have to admit, I think some of you dads, you can identify with this. The house is not the same when mom is not home. It's just something different. Things, go, things don't run as well. And so there was a commercial that was on a few years ago advertising paint that illustrates what I think a lot of dads have felt before. And so take a look at this commercial real fast. Kids are fed. Kids are fed. Homework is done. Baths are taken. I'm impressed. Looks like you've got everything under control. We got it all under control here. We're all good, right, guys? Yeah. Yeah, we're all good here. Yeah. Love you guys. Love you. Love you. Bye. I just love that. Any dads in the room? Can you identify with that? I've been there. Not to that extent, but still, I've been there. You know, life can be messy at times, life can be downright tough at times. If I were to take a poll right now and ask, how many guys are going through a rough patch right now? Don't raise your hand, but I bet a lot of hands would go up in the air. Now, I know that life can be fun, too. We all get that. There's a lot of fun moments in life. But life can also be tough. Life can be rough. Life can be kind of messy. And even if you weren't one to raise your hand right now and say, hey, yeah, I'm going through a rough patch right now, you've probably just either come through a rough patch or you might be getting ready to go through one. Because life can be messy. And I'm convinced that's why God created us to do life together. Because God knows that during the tough moments of life, we're less likely to give up if we have someone there to pick us up. A few weeks ago, I quoted Ecclesiastes chapter 4. And listen to these words again from Scripture. It says, Two are better than one. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. In other words, the Bible teaches everyone needs a friend. Meaningful friendship is not just important. It is essential to our spiritual, our emotional, and our physical well-being. You know, I just love when modern research backs up what the Bible has been saying for years. A social researcher, not a Christian researcher, but a social researcher by the name Robert Putman did a study years ago on human connection. And listen to what he discovered. Listen to, what he, listen to his conclusion. He writes, The single most common finding from a half-century's research on life satisfaction, not only from the U.S., but around the world, is that happiness is best predicted by the breadth and the depth of one's social connections. Now, I'm sure that doesn't really surprise any of us, but listen to what he goes on to say. He writes, As a rule of thumb, if you belong to no groups, but you decide to join one, you cut your risk of dying over the next year and half. Now, who wouldn't want to cut their risk of dying over the next year and a half? I think all of us would, right? That's why our new slogan for life groups here at First Church is join a group or die. I I mean, if that won't convince you to join a life group, I'm not sure what will, right? I'm kidding, but honestly, there may be some truth to that. Solomon goes on to say in Ecclesiastes 4 verse 12, By yourself you're unprotected, 
But with a friend, you can face the worst. Life can be messy at times. But God gave us the gift of friendship so that we can maneuver through the messes of life together. But I have to wonder, do we have today the meaningful friendships that God wants us to have? Do we have the deep spiritual friendships that God created us to have? Or maybe a better question I need to ask is, are you being that type of friend to someone else? Because Jesus defines true friendship in John 15, verse 13. And listen to what he says. He says, a true friend is one who lays down his life for his friends. In other words, a true friend, a real friend, a deep spiritual friend, is one who goes beyond the surface of superficial, sentimental affection and makes a self-sacrificing commitment for the good of another. And anytime I think about that, what comes to mind is a picture of two little boys that somebody shared with me years ago. Take a look at this. This is a true picture of friendship. And I think you guys get this, especially you men in the room. This is laying down your life for your buddy, okay? <laughs> this is serious friendship at work. And I'm kidding when I put that picture up there, but let me ask, do you have a friend like that? A friend who's willing to make sacrifices. A friend who's willing to always put you above themselves. And are you doing that for someone else? Because we all know there are different levels of friendship. There are different definitions of friendship in our world today. Not all friendships are the same. Not all friendships are created equal. And that's not a bad thing. We are going to be closer to some people than we are others. That's just the nature of human beings. It's not a bad thing. We can't be as close to everyone as we are to some people. It's not a bad thing. But do you have anyone in your life that is a John 15 type of friend? A type of friend who's willing to lay down his or her life for you. A type of friend who's willing to go the distance. A type of friend who's always going to be loyal and always going to be there for you. The type of friend who's always going to be pointing you back to God, who has your best spiritual interest at heart. Because like I said, there are a lot of different ideas and definitions when it comes to friendship floating around in our world today. And so let me illustrate this a little bit. I'll take a few moments to do so. The first level of friendship, which is kind of at the opposite end of the spectrum than the John 15 type of friend that Jesus talks about, I'm going to illustrate with something that I have on me. You probably have one on you as well. You probably carry one in your pocket or your purse, and it's this. It's my cell phone, my smartphone. Now, you guys know that smartphones are not just used for making calls. In fact, we probably do more of everything else that our smartphones can do than actually make calls on them. Smartphones are used for a lot of different purposes. And one thing that smartphones can do is they are our uh, venue, I guess, to access social media, social networking. And so the first category of friendship that I want to talk about this morning is what I'm going to call social media friendships. Now, this is something that probably 10, 15 years ago we wouldn't be talking about in church because social media wasn't a big thing if it was even around. I'm not sure if it was even around 10, 15 years ago, but everybody in our culture today has social media friendships. Now, you may not access social media through your phone. You may access it by a computer or tablet or some other, um, some other venue. But still, we pretty much all have social media friendships. These are our Facebook friends and our Twitter followers and our Instagram followers and whatever else, Snapchat friends. 
and we all have friendships that are basically limited to online activity. And there's nothing wrong with having social media friendships. How many of you guys have been encouraged before by a post that someone else has put up on Facebook or you've messaged somebody through a social media account and they've given you some advice? I mean, I've seen people write questions on their Facebook wall and they'll say, hey, where's the best place to buy this? And within a few minutes, they get like 20 responses of where the best place is. Now it's 20 different options, but still, at least you have options, right? I mean, social media can be a good thing. It's a way to keep in touch with people that we don't see all the time, people maybe we've lost track of. Social media can be a very positive, very good thing. But I think we need to recognize the limitations of social media friendship. Because it's almost impossible to have real connection with somebody who we just know through a screen or through their post or by what they like on Facebook. I mean, you can know a whole lot about somebody by their posts, by their likes, by their messages, but you only know what they want you to know. You ever thought about that? And on the flip side, the same is true for you. You can put a lot out there about yourself on social media, but you're only letting people know what you want them to know about you. I always say that social media is the quintessential example of image management. I mean, let me give you an example of this. When you go on vacation with your family and you want to post a picture from your vacation, what picture do you put online? You put the picture of your family, because I've seen some of you guys do this. You put, your, you put the picture of your family on a beach somewhere. You know, the sun is setting and the, and the water's coming up on the sand and the wind's blowing in your hair and your family's all nice and tan with smiles. You're wearing matching clothing. You know, it's just the picture-perfect image. That's the picture you put up on Facebook. You know what picture you you don't put up on Facebook? You don't put up the one of the family and the car stuck in traffic on the way to the beach. You know, the one where dad is mad at the car in front of him and, you know, the kids are fighting in the back seat and mom's hanging her head out the window to get air. Maybe it's the dog hanging his head out the window. I don't know how your family works, but still, you don't put that picture up on Facebook, do you? You put the picture-perfect moment up on Facebook because that's the image you want everyone to see. And that's how social media works. You let people know what you want them to know. And I think we all get this, because how many times have you heard someone say, or maybe you've even said, uh, well, I'm Facebook friends with them, but I don't really know them. Because we know there's a wall there, there's a barrier there. And uh, when it comes to self-disclosure, well, again, there's a barrier that separates us from really getting to know someone. Because it's impossible to have real intimacy, real accountability, real connection, by simply following somebody's social media posts or pictures or whatever. But there's another level of friendship above that, and probably most of us have this type of friend as well. This is what I'm going to call occasional friendships, or maybe casual friendships. These are people that we know, but our interaction with them is kind of limited to public spaces, like a restaurant or a coffee shop, maybe your place of work or a ball field, even the church. And so, as an example of this, I'm going to look at a restaurant booth because I think this illustrates occasional friendships. These are the type of people that we meet with in public places, like at a restaurant booth. And we have conversations with them, and they know a lot of things about us. You know, it's not just that they know our name, but they know our, our spouse's name and our kids' names. They know some of our interests and our hobbies. And these gifts can be a great gift in life. But again, there's still a wall here because when you only meet with somebody in public places, 
you limit self-disclosure once again. You only let them know so much about you. They know more than a social media friendship, but still, there's some real limitations to these type of friendships. And so you can sit with somebody and have conversations with them on, on occasion, but again, there's only so much that you let them know. A lot of times, these type of friendships, these occasional friendships, are still very much guarded. We guard ourselves. And some people never want to go beyond this level of friendship because they're afraid they might get hurt. They're afraid that they might get let down or disappointed. And so they kind of limit all of their social interactions to public places besides maybe their immediate families. And so this is kind of it. And unfortunately, this describes a lot of friendships in the church as well. People come to church, and they sit beside the same people week after week, and maybe occasionally they'll go out to eat with them, they'll have lunch with them after service, but that's it. They're not really doing life together. They're just meeting together in common places, and then they go on and live their lives on their own. So occasional friendships are limited to more public places, restaurants, coffee shops, maybe your place of work, wherever. But some friendships progress beyond this level, and they progress to a friendship level that I'm going to refer to as committed friendships. And these friendships, they move from public places to more personal places, like a living room couch or maybe your kitchen table. These are people that feel very comfortable in your home, and you feel very comfortable in their home. These are people that might even have what I call fridge rights. You know what I'm talking about? Like they're able to leave stuff in your fridge. I had a friend back where we used to live. He liked L81. It's a soft drink. You guys may have heard of it. It's from the central Kentucky area, and he loved L81. My family didn't drink it, and he would leave L8s in our fridge all the time. And We just left them in there. We knew they were his. Anytime he'd come over, he'd look in the fridge and say, hey, do I have any L8s left? Because he would bring them over. He had fridge rights and so maybe you have a friend like that these are people that you do a lot of your life with these are people that will come over and maybe watch a ball game with you I, well that's what guys do i don't know what women watch you guys watch what like the bachelorette or something i don't know soap operas maybe the winter olympics i don't know i'm so glad the winter olympics over my wife allison she loves the winter olympics she was glued to it you know ice skating and all that stuff i just don't get it i just don't understand curling who wants to watch a giant shuffleboard match you know i just don't understand it at all but anyway she, she loves it, so I'll watch it with her. Okay, my rant's over. I'm moving on. But still, whatever you do, these are people that come over, and they're very comfortable on your couch. You're very comfortable on their couch. These are committed friendships. But you know what? You can have all of these types of friends, social media friends, occasional friends, even committed friends, just living out in the world. But there's another level of friendship that the Bible talks about that I don't think you can have outside of Christ, that I don't believe you can have outside of the church. And that level of friendship, when they progress beyond this, is what I like to call covenant friendships. Now, I know that the word covenant is not a word we use a whole lot in our culture today. It kind of sounds a little antiquated, but it is a biblical term, and it's rich with meaning, and that's why I'm, I want to use it. These are people who you intentionally link arms with spiritually for the purpose of accountability, encouragement, motivation, and support in life. And probably one of the best examples of a covenant friendship in Scripture is David and Jonathan in the Old Testament. And in this series, we've talked a whole lot about David, you know, King David, and even before he was a king. And one thing you probably know by now is David was known for being a man after God's own heart. But I'm convinced that one of the reasons why David was a man after God's own heart was because he had a godly friend early on in life named Jonathan who encouraged him, who held him accountable, who motivated him, who supported him in life. 
And in fact, on two different occasions, the Bible says that David and Jonathan made a covenant before the Lord. Now, I know that sounds kind of odd because normally outside of marriage today, we don't hear of people making a covenant before the Lord. What does this mean? What, what it's talking about is David and Jonathan made a promise or a pledge of friendship, not just to one another, but before God, that they were going to keep each other's best spiritual interest at heart, and they were going to encourage one another to be the godly men that they needed to be. It was a spiritual brotherhood that they established before God. And this friendship lasted the length of their lives. In fact, at the time of Jonathan's death, David will refer to Jonathan as Jonathan, my brother. And the term here for brother means blood brother. Now, Jonathan and David, they weren't kin. They weren't blood brothers. And yet, he refers to him as a blood brother. Why? Because a covenant friend is one who's closer than a brother, closer than family. It's somebody who you feel comfortable with. It's somebody who you can be transparent with. It's someone who you've commissioned to spiritually hold you accountable. It's someone who's going to be loyal to you no matter what. And it's someone who's going to help you maneuver through the messes of life. And the image that I've chosen to illustrate a covenant relationship, a covenant friendship, is one that probably you don't see a whole lot, at least not in today's society but it's that of a yoke. Now, I know yokes aren't very common in our world today. You may have seen pictures of a yoke or seen them in movies. They're not very common in farming practices today. I get that. In fact, about a month or so ago, I asked our staff to find me a yoke because I knew I was going to preach the sermon. And no one realized it was going to be that as difficult of a task as it was. I mean, it took us forever. In fact, we got this in this week. It took us forever to find one. I had the entire staff searching. So you may have seen messages up on Facebook about, anybody have a yoke we can borrow, like an oxen yoke? And people thought, we were nuts. In fact, one person responded to one of our staff members, uh, no, I sold mine in 1890. So thanks for that. Appreciate that. But there's a reason why I chose the image of a yoke. And I wanted to bring one out so you can actually see it because a lot of people aren't even familiar with what this is. Because years ago in farming practices, these were commonly used. And you would put two animals, like two oxen, in a yoke like this, and they would plow ground together. They would do it as a team. It was an essential partnership, an essential companionship. And so I believe that a covenant friendship is one where we link arms together, we're joined together, and we plow through life together. It's a friendship where we walk through life along the same path with somebody at the same pace, no one moving too far ahead of the other, no one allowing the other one to fall too far behind. And honestly, this is the type of friendship that we should find within the church. Now, like I mentioned earlier, normally when we think of a covenant relationship or we hear the word covenant, we either think of our relationship with God or we think of the marriage covenant. And don't misunderstand me. The marriage covenant is a unique and special covenant that we make before God. In fact, it is the most important covenant we will make before God outside of our, of our relationship with Jesus. It's the primary covenant we will make before God. No other human relationship should ever come before our marriage covenant. No other human relationship should ever interfere with the marriage covenant that we make before God. And truly, when a marriage is healthy, then it's two people moving at the same pace along the 
same path in a very intimate way, an intimacy that you cannot find in any other relationship, and no one moves too far ahead of the other, no one falls too far behind. But here's the thing, whether you're married or not, the Bible gives us the example that we should have covenant friendships beyond our marriage. And sometimes those covenant friendships are with other couples, if you are married. We should have covenant friendships within the church. Paul writes in Philippians 4, verse 3, he's writing to the church at Philippi, and he's addressing certain people within the church. And I want you to look at someone who he addresses within the church. In verse 3, he says, Yes, and I ask you, my loyal yoke fellow. See that word there, yoke fellow? Now, Paul doesn't give the name of this loyal yoke fellow. doesn't tell us who it is. And he's listing a whole bunch of people in this section of Philippians. But apparently, there was somebody in the church that Paul was especially close to. Someone he had spiritually linked arms with. Someone who shared his spirit for life. His mission for the church. Someone who held him accountable. Someone who he could be transparent with. Someone who was probably praying for him constantly and he was praying for them. He had a special close relationship with someone within the church at Philippi. And I want you to notice also how Paul doesn't refer to everyone in the church as his loyal yoke fellows. Because you can't have that level of friendship with everyone in the church. It's just impossible. You can't be that close to everyone. But the example is we should have those special relationships with someone, with certain people within the church. That's why Paul writes in Ephesians 4 verse 16 about the church. Under the, under the control of Christ, each part of the body does its work. It supports the other parts. And in that way, the body is joined and held together. The church is here so we can develop close connection with other people, so we can develop covenant friendships that will support us, empower us, motivate, and inspire us. And I wonder, is this the type of connection that we see happening within the body of Christ today? I heard someone say the other day that people are experience rich, but relationship poor. Especially in our Western culture, especially in America today, people are experience-rich but relationship-poor. Because in America, we travel, we go on vacations, we attend sporting events, we're exposed to so much. I mean, we have so much information at our fingertips. Those smartphones that I talked about a second ago... We have so much information at our fingertips. We go out to eat with people. We hang out with people. We're part of clubs and organizations. We are experience rich. But I think we often lack meaningful connection with others. And sadly, I'm afraid that's happening in the church today. We come to church week after week and we show up. And we get entertained, and we listen to great worship, and we listen to an all-right sermon, and we get our $3 worth of God in, and we wave at people and shake hands, but then we go home, and we live life in isolation. And some people want that. Some people like that. They would rather just slip in the church, get entertained, and go home. They would rather have that because they're afraid of getting hurt. They're afraid of exposing themselves. They're afraid of being too vulnerable. And even though that's what they want, I don't think that's what God wants. John Weiss, in his book, Me Too, writes this about the church. He says, We impress people with our strength, but we connect with our weakness. When we open up and admit that we need help, yeah, we run the risk of being hurt. 
But if we don't open up and admit that we need help, we run a greater risk of not being helped. Vulnerability is the key to intimacy. And all of us need to experience intimacy. It's at the heart of every great friendship. I think some people are afraid to open up because they fear will make them appear weak to their friends. But I'm convinced that we don't really have friends until we open up to people. Vulnerability strengthens any and all relationships that it flows out of. See, that's why the church exists. We're a community that links arms with one another so that we never experience the messes of life alone, so that we never have to face our weaknesses alone. And so my question is, who is that for you? And are you being that for someone else? Because when you look throughout the pages of the Bible at all the great men and women that God used, most of them had a godly close friend by their side. Or he talks about David and Jonathan. But in addition to David having Jonathan, Moses had Aaron and later Joshua. Joshua had Caleb. Ruth had Naomi. Elijah had Elisha. Paul had Timothy, Titus, and Silas, as well as others at different points in his life. And even Jesus had the 12 disciples. And within the 12 disciples, there were three friends that he was closest to, known as the inner circle, Peter, James, and John. And those are just a few examples. If I had more time, I could give you more. And I think we're given all of those examples to remind us we're better together. We're better when we have close friendships that will encourage us, hold us accountable, challenge us, motivate us, inspire us to be the people God created us to be. So covenant friends are extremely important. And let me give you a few reasons why. First, covenant friends are important because they inspire each other to pursue God's purpose, God's purpose for life. And that was David and Jonathan. In, in 1 Samuel 18, verse 1, the Bible says about David and Jonathan that they were one in spirit. Now, I know it's kind of odd for us to say the two men were one in spirit, and some people have misinterpreted that, and they've run with that in the wrong direction. But that phrase simply means that David and Jonathan had the same spirit for life. They had the same vision for life. And interestingly, that said of David and Jonathan, right after they discover that Saul, who was the king of Israel at the time, remember he was the king before David, that Saul was taking the nation of Israel in a direction that God didn't want them to go in. And so once they discover that Saul isn't following God's purposes, that Saul isn't following God's will, they decide that they're going to join together and have this companionship, this friendship, this brotherhood that's going to make sure that they continue to follow God's purpose in life because they know with the king going in a different direction, it's going to be tempting just to go along with him. See, David and Jonathan, they were both very close to King Saul. David was a national hero in Israel. He had just killed Goliath. And Jonathan, he's Saul's son. So it would have been easy for either of them just to support the king. So they needed one another to make sure, hey, we've got to always remember that God's purposes for our lives are more important than man's purposes. They shared a common commitment to God. And I wonder, do you have someone like that in your life? Someone who's going to help you pursue God's purpose for your life, no matter what, even when the going gets tough. I've got a friend like this. I used to live real close to him. I don't anymore now that I've moved. But he was the type of guy that every time I was around him, he just encouraged me to serve God more. He's that type of person. And I remember 
Several years ago, I had a, an acquaintance in ministry. didn't know him real well, but he was discouraged. And he called me up, and he said, Chad, I need some help. And I said, you need to go have lunch with this friend of mine. And so the three of us went, and we had lunch together. This guy, this guy who called me up and who was discouraged, he was ready to drop out of ministry. He was going through a lot of tough stuff in his church. He was ready to quit ministry, even though I knew that's what God wanted him to do. And we had one lunch with this friend of mine who was just always encouraging and always supportive. And after we walked away from lunch that day, I looked at my buddy who was discouraged and I said so what do you think now he said I'm ready to go preach I'm ready to go and that's just the type of guy that this other friend of mine was whenever you are around him he motivated you to serve he motivated you to use the gifts that God have gi has given you um, in great ways that's just the type of person he was and do you have somebody like that who's always going to be remind you about what's most important who's going to inspire you to serve God in whatever way you can but second covenant friends they also are important because they make sacrifices for one another. In 1 Samuel 18, verse 4, it says that Jonathan took off his robe and, and he gave it to David, the robe he was wearing, and he gave it to David. Now, why did Jonathan do that? So you've got to remember, Jonathan is he's the son of the king. He's a prince of Israel. He's next in line to the throne. So Jonathan, at this point, is wearing royal robes. But here's the backstory: God has already said Jonathan's not going to be the next king. David's going to be the next king over Israel. And so what does Jonathan do? In a very symbolic gesture, he takes off his royal robes and he gives them to David, saying, David, I'm okay with you being king. I know I'm next in line. I know all the people expect me to be the next king, but I'm okay with you being the next king because that's what God wants. See, there was no competition between David and Jonathan. There was no jealousy, no selfishness. They wanted what was best for one another. And that's what true friends do, deep covenant friends do. They make sacrifices for the benefit of the other. In Philippians 2 verse 3 it says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Real friends make sacrifices for one another. They give up their own personal freedoms and comforts to meet another person's needs. And it's interesting to me, most of the time when I hear people complaining about something in the church, most of the time, it's out of selfish reasons. It's not, hey, I want to make this sacrifice so somebody else can come to know Jesus. It's more, this is what I want, and if I don't get what I want, I'm going to take my toys and go home. And the Bible says that's not how we're supposed to act as the church. We're supposed to be, to be putting others above ourselves. And that's especially true when it comes to deep friendship. We're supposed to be putting our friends above ourselves, and they're supposed to be doing the same for us. I have a friend like that. Of course, Allison does that. I can't even, like, she's in a whole different level. She's on a whole different level. I can't even talk about her because I don't even, I, I don't deserve to have her in my life at all. But uh, outside of Allison, I've got a couple other friends that are like that. And one buddy that I'm thinking of right now, he's a guy that no matter what, no matter what time it is or what's going on, if I call him and ask him for a favor, if I need something, he is always there for me. And I can remember a couple different occasions over the past few years when something was going on and I needed a favor and it was a low point in life. And I've called him up. One time I called him at 2 a.m. because something had just happened. And I said when I talked to him on the phone, I need a favor. And both times that I've called and said that, he didn't even ask what it was. He just said, okay, I'll do it. I was like, you don't even know what I'm asking. He said, it doesn't matter. If you're calling me at this time of night or in the morning, I'll do it. I'm there for you. That's what covenant friends do. And I've tried to do the same for him. I know there was a time... 
that he lost someone who was very close to him. He had a friend, another friend, who died in a tragic car accident. And he was tore up, and he called me, and he couldn't even get it out. Like, he couldn't even say it. He was crying, uh, and he couldn't even say it. And so I didn't know what was going on. I knew he was upset. And finally, I said, where are you? And he said, I'm at home. He could get that out. And I said, just stay there. I'll be there. I didn't know what I was going to be walking into. I didn't know why he was so upset. But I said, I'll be there. That's what covenant friends do. They drop everything to help out their friend. But lastly, covenant friends are important because they help one another find strength in God. You see, when Saul finds out, you know, Saul's king at the time, when Saul finds out that God wants David to be the next king, Saul is jealous of David, and Saul tries to kill David. And he chases David all over the country, basically. And David flees to the wilderness to hide in a cave from Saul. And what does Jonathan do? I mean, Jonathan could have supported his dad, or he could have just said, okay, David, you're on your own, but he doesn't. What does Jonathan do? 1 Samuel 23, 16 says, Jonathan went to David at Horish and helped him find strength in God. See, that's what real, godly, covenant friends do. They don't come to you and say, hey, it'll all be okay, don't worry about it. They don't give you an attaboy and just, hey, blow it off, it'll be fine. No, they may not have the power to remove you from the situation you're in. They might not have the ability to fix everything right at the moment, but they come to you and they're with you and they help you find strength in God. They're the type of people who point you in the direction you need to go in because you might be distracted in the moment because of the circumstances you're, you're experiencing. And that's why, let me take a moment here just to say... If you're going to have a covenant friend like this, somebody who you're close to, somebody who's going to hold you accountable, it doesn't need to be someone who's going to distract you from God in any way. And that's why I want to issue a little bit of a caution or a warning. If you're married, it doesn't, it doesn't need somebody of the opposite sex unless they're your spouse. You don't need to have a covenant friend of the opposite sex because that's probably going to be a distraction. And there are other distractions as well. Somebody who may tempt you in some way or maybe get you down or whatever. Just be careful. You need a covenant friend who's always going to point you in the direction God wants you to go in, who's not going to be a distraction, but someone who's going to help you grow closer to God. You need a friend who's going to point you to God's grace when guilt overwhelms you. Someone who's going to show you God's love when you feel all alone. Someone who's going to inspire faith in God when fear shakes you. Someone who's going to hold you accountable when you need a wake-up call in life. Someone who's going to pour wisdom into you when you feel lost. Someone who's going to provide light when you're surrounded by darkness. Because a covenant friend knows that the true source of strength is not in the friendship itself. But, the true, but true strength comes from you guys being yoked together with God. Matthew 11, verse 29, Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. See, a lot of times when people think about being yoked together with somebody, the image of a yoke seems like it's painful or appears to be painful or maybe something that's hard or difficult. Who wants to be yoked together with someone? But yet Jesus says, take my yoke. Be yoked together with me because my burden's light. In other words, I'll help you out of your mess. I'll help you find the comfort you're looking for. I'll help you find the peace you're looking for, the satisfaction you're looking for. I will help you out of the darkness into light. That's what I'm there for. Be yoked together with me. We'll plow through life together. And that's why having a covenant friend is so important because that person will help you stay yoked together with Jesus. We all need people who will point us to the source of strength, help us stay connected to the source of strength, 
in the midst of our weak moments. I'm not sure if you've heard the name Lex Gillette before or not, but Lex Gillette is a Paralympic athlete. He's a Paralympic long jumper. I've got a picture of Lex I'm going to put up on the screen. And you might be thinking, how in the world could a guy like Lex be a long jumper? Because Lex is blind. Lex can't see. And yet he's a Paralympic long jumper. How in the world could he do this? How could he do that? Well, it's because he has a friend who's by his side all the time. He has a friend that will walk Lex out to the point where he's supposed to start, pace off the right amount of steps, and then that friend will go to the edge of the sand pit where Lex is supposed to jump. And when it's time for Lex to start, that friend will start clapping. And he'll clap in rhythm, and he'll say, Lex, 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 over and over again. So Lex takes off running, and as he gets closer, the friend gets louder and louder, and the clapping gets faster to the point that when Lex gets to where his friend is, he knows it's time to jump. Lex, Lex, Lex. And Lex, he has won medals, and now he's an inspirational, motivational speaker, but he'll tell you he never could have accomplished any of that if it wasn't for his friend being by his side. Guys, we all need friendships like that. On a spiritual level, we all need friends like that. Friends who are going to be pointing us in the right direction when we're blinded by this world, blinded by sin, blinded by the darkness that's out there. We need people who are going to pull us back where we need to be and coach us along the way. We all need that. Because at times, we all get off course a little bit. And I wonder, who is that for you? Because that's why First Church is here. I don't want us to be a church that's known for just showing up on Sundays and we get our $3 worth of God in and we're entertained. We feel all good about ourselves and then we go home and we live as we want to live. That's not what I want to be known for. I want to be known as a church that gets relationships right. A church where we're yoked together with other believers and we're supporting one another and we're there for one another. That's what I want to be known for. And today, if you don't have a close spiritual friend, we want to help you find that person. And that's why we have life groups. Now, we can't force you to be part of a life group. I get that. But remember our slogan, get in a life group or die. I mean, that's our slogan, so remember that. Now, I joke when I say that, but there may be some truth to that. Because if you want to live a spiritually healthy life, you've got to have those close friendships, those close godly friendships. So today, if you're interested in joining a life group, Jared, our discipleship minister, he's going to be out at the hub. Come out and talk to him. If you're one of our campuses, I've already given our campus ministers a heads up. Go and see one of them, and they'll get you connected to a life group or get you connected to people that you need to talk to. But maybe today what you need is just to get reconnected with the greatest source of strength, our Heavenly Father. Today, if you're not yoked together with him, I pray that you start seeking him. Seek him, because remember what Jesus says, his burden is light, his yoke is easy. And if you're going through a mess right now, you're going through a rough patch right now, and I'm sure there's a lot of people in this room that are, he's the one that can help you out of it. Seek him and find a friend who will help you stay connected to him. Because we really are better when we do life together. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, I thank you so much for this time we've had to go throughout this series over the past four weeks and talk about the need for one another. We live in a world that, where people are just so isolated and 
You know, we go home and we shut our garage doors and we lock ourselves in our houses almost and we don't interact with anybody and that's not how you designed your church. You designed your church to be a place where we do life together, a community where we can support one another. And so I pray that everyone in this room today has a godly friend, a covenant friend that is helping them stay connected to you. And I pray that everyone in the room is being that type of friend to someone else. But Father, if there's anyone here today who is lonely or hurting, who needs you and needs to be connected to you, may they seek you today. And may there be others in our church that come around them and support them and help them find you. Father, we just love you so much. We thank you for the relationship that you've allowed us to have with you. And we thank you for the friendships that you've given us here on earth. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. At this time, if you need to talk to somebody, if